Welcome to the Revelation Project Podcast. I'm Monica Rogers, and this podcast is intended to disrupt the trance of unworthiness and to guide women to remember and reveal the truth of who we are. We say that life is a revelation project, and what gets revealed gets healed. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Revelation Project Podcast. I'm Monica Rogers, and today I'm with Dr. Joanna Kuyava. Dr. Joanna Kuyava is the author of the book, The Other Goddess, Mary Magdalene and the Goddesses of Eros and Secret Knowledge. I am particularly fascinated with this subject because of the way I grew up in the Catholic Church. And as many of you who listen to this podcast a lot know, I often refer to kind of our experience in this world as living in the upside down, where everything has kind of been turned on its head. And Mary Magdalene was one of those figures for me. I grew up under this assumption or these teachings that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute instead of a prophetess. And in my essay, The Trance of Unworthiness, that was aired on the Breaking Down Patriarchy podcast this past September, I describe how these microdosed messages really impact women over time. And so what I'm particularly excited about as it relates to Dr. Joanna Kuyava's work is she's really done this spiritual excavation work that helps to establish Mary Magdalene's true story and really presents a whole new potential for women who are coming into a deeper understanding of the power of the feminine and how it applies to our role in modern society today and why this particular archetype of quote-unquote the other goddess is so valuable and important. So Dr. Kuyava argues that the process of recovering the healing power of the goddess we really have focused solely on the mother archetype, and we've left out this other goddess who's often represented in mythical, historical, and Gnostic sources as wise, mysterious, and in the possession of the healing power of Eros. So, Looking into esoteric traditions that celebrated the goddess and her art of sexual alchemy, Dr. Kuyava sets out on this detective journey to answer so many of these lingering questions about who Mary Magdalene really was. And she finds that Mary Magdalene stands at the center of this investigation. So today we're going to learn about her portrayal in these Gnostic Gospels as a teacher in her own right and as Jesus's intimate partner and the possibility of her life, not only as a prophetess, but also as an alchemist in Egypt 
and some of her final years in southern France. So you're, we're also going to bring in other goddesses today, perhaps a, a few like Sophia or Aphrodite or Inanna or Isis. But basically, what we're really doing today is looking at the other goddess as the bearer of the mysteries of sexual alchemy that really ends the division between sexuality and spirituality, which ultimately will benefit us all. So please join me in welcoming Dr. Joanna Kuyava. Hi, Monica. Thank you for this beautiful introduction. Yeah, well, you know, after our last conversation, I really got clear about, you know, why this particular interview is so near and dear to my heart and why I just wanted to kind of have another chance to talk and to bring you and your incredible insight into really what I would call like a tapestry of conversations. And of course, I love that you call yourself a spiritual detective because (laughs) my real experience has been that I find that each person I speak to holds an important piece of the puzzle. And over time, it's really helped me to establish much deeper understanding of the why, like why this information has been so fragmented, so suppressed, and so distorted for so long. So I'd love to really just jump right in and just start with, you know, the question of who Mary Magdalene really was and her connection to Eros. Wow, that's a big question, but thank you for this because it's really a center, central question of, of my book, The Other Goddess. So maybe I'll just start a little bit differently. Why I actually, how I basically stumble upon all of this, because like you, I, you know, I was brought up as a Catholic. Mm-hmm. And as you can hear from my accent, I was born in Poland originally. Now I live in Australia and, and I used to go to churches like you do. And I saw this beautiful image of. Virgin Mary, but I also knew that somehow intuitively knew that it's not a full image, right? Mm -hmm. Especially that, you know, she was really stripped of her sexuality and we are not going to go into Virgin Mary because we know that, right? Yeah. And then I saw this other image in the church, like on a side somewhere, you know, in the naves that she, you know, of Mary Magdalene. And I could see that she was close to the teacher, you know, as Gnostic Gospels uh, call Jesus. And, and, uh, but somehow she was always demeaned as a harlot and it just didn't feel right. And later in my life, when I was already going to adventures on a trip to Jerusalem to Australian men, I went uh, to a, the church of uh, St. Mary Magdalene, which was a Russian Orthodox church. And there I saw this image of Mary Magdalene portrayed as a very empowered woman. She was standing with her hand extended and uh, with uh, an egg in her hand, which I know the medieval story, and I think you probably listeners also know the story, but I had a vision and also scholarly uh, download, so to speak, that this kind of image of a goddess, not only of Mary Magdalene, but of many other goddesses starting from Sumer, extending knowledge, which I would call higher consciousness, uh, to humanity. And uh, as I was doing research, I also realized that this higher consciousness has also a lot to do with Eros and also our own acceptance of Eros, because all the goddesses of the past 
whether from the Western tradition like Nimna, Inanna, Ishtar, Hathor, Isis, and Mary Magdalene, or some beautiful esoteric Hindu goddesses, such as, for example, Radha or Sundari, you know, they also use the erotic power to enlighten humanity. And in, in, in Tantra, especially in esoteric Tantra, uh, we know that there was a ancient woman sage called Arda Triambaka, which actually introduced this tradition of sexual alchemy for the enlightening of the, the purpose of the enlightening of a human species, so to speak, to bring us higher consciousness and bring us back to the moment of creation, so to speak. So, and then I thought, you know, like, why, why, you know, there's whole question, you know, how sexuality is portrayed in the mainstream media and, and, and why we always talk about, about sexuality, whether in religious terms or even just mainstream media as something sinful and extremely base and extremely animalistic. And that's fine. There is a part of sexuality that is bad, but as everything else in life, you know, and in, in this beautiful universe, you know, there are different levels to everything. Mm -hmm. And that Eros, I realized that they taught the, the healing power of Eros and also about healing our own sexuality as well as human species. And I really like what you said at the beginning because you mentioned, you know, they, they were demeaned and this is exactly how I feel about it. And this is what I write about in my book because as I was doing research for the book, I realized that, you know, I actually noticed so I don't know necessarily who did it, although we know the system did it, right? The patriarchy did it, but why, why they did it. And then I thought there must have known that there is a hidden power in that truly empowered feminine, including feminine eroticism. I prefer to use eroticism to sexuality because how sexuality is being portrayed in the media that they were somehow afraid of, that they thought they have to control. And I believe that this is our call, you know, we have to take responsibility as women to reclaim this power, you know, which is to, so we can bring really wholeness to and fulfillment to, to human species. Because when we look at Gnostic Gospels, Jesus or the teacher always says, you know, you have to be fully human, right? You have to integrate everything that is in you. And as Carl Jung, the Swiss psychologist says, you know, you cannot argue the shadow out of existence. And we started to treat our sexuality as a shadow, as something sinful and as something dark. So you cannot ascend. And these are also the teachings of the gospel of Mary Magdalene. You cannot ascend as if you reject a part of yourself. So I think that. You know, when you speak, you know, they use the term uh, patriarchy as they were demeaning and suppressing this feminine power, not only sexual, but also including sexuality. They were also preventing us from fulfilling our potential as human species and also as divine beings in the bodies, right? Because being fully anthropos, as Jesus teaches and Mary Magdalene in her gospel, which means fully human, it is human that realizes his or her divine potential. Yeah, I mean, when <laughs> I can't help but really look at, I, I often say that this to my listeners is like, there's this diabolical brilliance in this. Once you start really seeing the, the separation, I always call it, you know, like we've been conditioned to live in the upside down. Mm. 
and everything in this world, you know, that we've been taught. It's like if you're taught one thing, I've started to realize then do another, you know, do the complete opposite. (laughs) Because it's just been, you know, more often than not, that once the truth is revealed, it is the exact opposite of what you were taught. And so, you know, I've talked often about how we are taught that the body is sinful, just like you're saying, and that, you know, our redeeming to, to um, kind of like ascend, we must go up and out, you know, and have an intermediary mm-hmm. that actually helps with that, you know, if yeah. you were raised in the Catholic Church like I was, where, you know, the true kind of you know, as the mythologies have revealed, you know, that this journey is an invitation to go in and down. And I think it was as I discovered more and more of the Gnostic texts that Sophia began to show up again as this voice of wisdom who requires depth and silence. And I thought, oh my God, that is so true and so beautiful. And that the journey is within. And of course, the Gnostics are so so connected to the hermetic mm-hmm. philosophy, which is as within, so without. And so there's a way that our, you know, our birthright has been so warped and so distorted and so fragmented. And that, as I had mentioned, and as you so beautifully kind of call yourself, this spiritual detective work becomes really it's just become the thing that's driven me, you know, to not only remember these fractured parts of myself, but to also, there's an aspect of my own psyche that has been deeply separated from my own eros. Mm -hmm. And so, I find that part of the bigger tragedy of this separation that we experience, not only in the physical realm where you see the polarity of the masculine and the feminine and, or for that matter, the left and the right, or for that matter, the Democrats and the Republicans, right? Like just the, in some ways, there's just this, this constant division And as you start to remember the within and these parts and pieces that, as you said, must be remembered in order to kind of come into this wholeness. And what I would say is also to come into this wisdom, to come into this Sophia or this gnosis, this understanding, this self-compassion, this self-love, that remembering that happens on the inside, then you can offer it on the outside. And I feel like that's the journey we're all on. Yes, absolutely. And recently, I was actually giving an interview in another language, and and you know, I was giving similar question about you know how what can we actually practically do? And then I said, you know, the fact that feminine energy is so strong, including you know feminine eros, and I would like to perhaps elaborate a little bit more about it later. And this is exactly the reason why it was suppressed, and we have to reclaim it for ourselves. So there are a couple of ways that we can, and so it's a huge responsibility on women, because actually in all esoteric traditions, uh, it is a woman that is the giver of this energy. She is the carrier of this energy, and she can uh, bestow this energy 
this healing energy of Eros on a man. So man is the receiver of this energy. And then we can walk together. So, you know, and, and, and uh, the divine feminine and the divine masculine as we were meant to. And especially if I do just don't mind me to digress for a moment in, in tantric texts that I studied, you know, uh, for example, chapter 29 of Tantra Loka, which is the classic Hindu Tantra, esoteric Tantra, which, you know, later was moved into dif- in completely different directions. They say after that, you'll be walking like goddesses and gods on earth which means you both fulfill your divine potential, whether masculine or feminine, right? Mm-hmm. But how can we do this? So one way is, you know, we have to remember the archetypes that of the goddesses that embodied this, right? Not necessarily from archaeological point of view or, you, you know, but just as an archetype. So I like to return always to the archetype of goddess Nimna, you know, from Sume, which is basically like three dates, Inanna also. Inanna is another version of Nimna. But I think her representation there is the fullest, so to speak, of this kind of uh, feminine in Western tradition. And, and Mary Magdalene, as far as I know, is the last archetype that we know, you know, at the moment, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or at least according to my, you know, spiritual detective work. Mm-hmm. So I like how Nimna is portrayed always. So she is sitting on the throne. She is you know, in control of her energy. She possesses it. She embodies it. Uh, behind her, there is an uh, upright serpent. Upright serpent can represent two different things, depending on, you know, who you're talking to. But basically, in esoteric traditions, it it, it represents uh, the awakened energy. In Hinduism, it's called awakened Kundalini energy. But now, also, esoteric uh, teachings of ancient Egypt, all, Egypt also show them with a, you know, upright serpent, which is basically the awakened spiritual energy in the human being. And uh, next to her, there's a tree of life, which is basically the tree of moving between different dimensions or even uh, crossing between death and life and ascension. And uh, across from her, there is a figure of a man, okay, who represents humanity, but also she, she represents the feminine power here represents the masculine power and she's offering him the fruit like Mary Magdalene you know has this egg in her hand it's this kind of thing and she's offering him this right so she's offering him this higher form of consciousness so in all of these esoteric traditions whether Egyptian or Sumerian or esoteric Hinduism the woman is the carrier of this energy and only she can bestow it on the man so it's almost, but they do need each other. So for, ze- for example, let's go back to Eros, right? In esoteric Tantra, during the sexual act, you know, man is present there, obviously, because it's in, in esoteric Tantra, as far as I know, it's always between man and a woman. So he, he's, it's almost like, you know, Rolling Stones st- songs, start me up, right? So he is there, you know, to start the process. Then the woman who possesses her erotic power as a spiritual power, you know, starts to feel the kundalini rising or the energy rising through her body. And then she spills it over on the man. And this is, man gets it from a woman. And it's in every esoteric tradition that describes Eros as a spiritual power. So the reason why we need these archetypes and Mary Magdalene is one of them, although she is demeaned, you know, because, for example, Isis is another version of Nimna, just like Inanna. And then Mary Magdalene, but 
gradually, the closer we get to our civilization, her powers are demeaned until she becomes a harlot rather than resurrectrix or the giver. Right. And rather than a dis- an actual disciple, if not the most important or first disciple in of Jesus and his counterpartner, like his equal, his co-equal partner. Okay. So, would you like me to discuss this now? Yes. Yes. So yes. I, so, I just would just move here for a moment. And the other pa- part is that you can do, we actually have to reclaim it for ourselves. So, I'll just close it. Mm-hmm. Because at the moment, you know, we are not fully reclaiming it. We are caught up in the archetypes that are actually harmful, not only to women, but to the whole of humanity and to our spiritual truth. Right. And before we do kind of launch in, I do want to say for our listeners, you know, that what I was starting to say, right, about the tragedy that I see is this disembodied, this disassociation from the body that so many women I work with have. And so the work becomes really reconnecting to this source energy. And of course, there are so many incredible women out there doing this work of helping women remember their source power. And, And that's a beautiful thing. And some of those women are like Mama G, that or uh, my goodness, there's so many right now that I'm um, spacing on some of their names, but I'll of course put some links in the show notes. And whether or not Mama Gina is your style, it is what you're talking about. There's this way of reconnecting to that source energy and reconnecting or re-embodying, re-inhabiting ourselves, I like to say. That's right. And, you know, also not being ashamed of our bodies, because in a previous talk, we are saying, you know, how when you reach puberty, something happens. And and I think it's also a part of the brainwashing of society that, you know, like you suddenly being evaluated on your on your sizes and, you know, and it's something weird is going to you and your body is considered either desirable or dangerous. Right. Yeah. So it's an extremely debilitating relationship, you know, with your own body, if you're, you know, when you're a woman. So we have to reclaim it and we, we have to reclaim what is my body? What is my relationship with my body? You know, and how I want my body. What, what is beautiful for me? Mm-hmm. Right. Rather than all of this external and what is empowering for me rather than this external measurements. But you are very right. You know, in the Gnostic Gospels, Mary Magdalene is portrayed as the favorite and top disciple of Jesus. And in fact, she has her own gospel, which was uh, discovered in 1896, which is long, you know, over 50 years before the Nakhamadi discoveries. However, it was not translated until, I think, 1950s, as far as I remember. And originally it was translated by the linguists who, you know, like they just translated word by word. And also they were brainwashed by the culture. So every time they said, oh, it must be about adultery because it is about Mary Magdalene. So they actually mistranslated the text. And eventually, you know, people, once it was translated from the Coptic in a very primitive way, then people who actually, like, for example, Jean-Yves Leloup, who is a French scholar, who actually translated, you know, the spiritual meaning. Mm. of the, the gospel of Mary Magdalene without any brainwashing, like, oh, it must be about, you know, adultery, although she doesn't speak about adultery there. So if you don't, would you like me to speak about the gospel of Mary Magdalene a little bit before we go to other gospels? Absolutely, because, you know, I know that there are going to be some listeners that this is completely new, that they don't even know that there is a gospel of Mary Magdalene. I know, I know, like this, this this is amazing. And it was discovered actually. And there's an interesting story about it because it was bought in the 
in Cairo and some markets, you know, but as actually discovered in Panapolis in ancient Egypt, but actually Akmin modern, modern town in Egypt, which, you know, we can discuss later why it is important for Mary Magdalene's life. But, you know, this is a mind blowing gospel, you know? So I really suggest that people read it and, it, you know, or, or, you know, in my book, I give a simplified version of it, but it's a very deep text. And I just want to add that it's not like the Catholic Church is like, yay, the gospel of Mary <laughs> Magdalene has been discovered. Let's talk about it. No. Uh, no. No. In fact, like, they, uh, so can I just digress again? So, for example, I have like my gr- graduate and postgraduate degrees from the Pontifical Institute at the University of Toronto. So I studied Christian philosophy. I, 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 I have postgraduate degrees in it. I've never even heard about Gnostic Gospels. It, it was my personal journey once that I, I left that, that form of academia. So you're completely right. So it's not like, like they don't even want to look there. No. You know? Mm-mm. So, and why? Because, you know, first of all, I have to say that we have only part of the um, papyri, you know, and the different parts actually, because there were different parts discovered all over Egypt. So we don't have a whole of the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. But the, the parts that we know... uh Peter, who is obviously the rock of the Catholic Church, he is portrayed as the one that is, you know, least advanced. And Mary Magdalene is the one who is most advanced. So Peter asked question, first question that we have, I think it's page six. We have page six as page one, basically, because we lost the first pages. Uh, and he says, uh, teacher, what is the sin of the world? And the teacher, which is Jesus, you know, ha- says there is no sin. Okay, like, so that's already, if you're Catholic, if you're like, oh, thank goodness, right? Yeah. Because you're sinful all the time. I remember being a little girl and, you know, father, I'm not worthy. And then I thought like, why am I not worthy? I didn't do anything, you know, like. Yeah. So, so anyway, and then Jesus explains that, you know, we, uh, what is the sin? It's basically when we make choices from our lower level of consciousness that is obsessed with the material world. By material, I mean physicality act, uh, and um, like accumulating things, right? Or from your greed, you know, mm-hmm. or from your fear. And then it naturally creates negative consequences, right? Because energetically you come from a bad place. But sin as such does not exist, right? So that's very interesting. It's very interesting. So we are not born sinful, you know, we are not born sinful according to Jesus. And then, you know, the second part of the um, gospel of, Mar- of uh, the gospel of Mary Magdalene, which for me is the most interesting part is when, you know, obviously the crucifixion already happened and there are again missing parts, right? So this happened and they all gather, all the male disciples come to Mary Magdalene and they beg her and they say, please tell us what teacher shared with you that he didn't share with us. Because now we don't have him and you carry his knowledge, right? That's very powerful. That's why the church doesn't want to look there because, you know, the church, the Catholic church has, has absolutely couldn't care less about women. They will accept anybody, you know, any form of diversity, but women, you know, they have no use for women, basically, right? So, and that's interesting in itself. But anyway, so they gather there. And just uh, I'll add that the Gnostics in general believe that Jesus gave three levels of teaching. One for, you know, like regular people who, you know, maybe didn't have education, like, you know, fishermen and, and, and farmers around the Lake of Galilee. The second one he gave to his disciples who had the 
you know, benefit of his presence and energy of a teacher, right? And the third one, the highest esoteric level of his teachings he gave to Mary Magdalene because he considered her the only worthy of his, you know, of his understanding of his teachings. And then she proceeds to teach, uh, tell them, and she agrees, you know? So they come to her and they beg her and she agrees. She's very graceful, you know, about that. And then she says that she saw the teacher in her vision after his death. So it's another different version. You know, he, she didn't see him in the body, but she saw him somewhere between, you know, physical and uh, immaterial, right? So, so and, and he said, you're blessed because you're not afraid of seeing me. Mm-hmm. And she says, am I seeing you in the spirit? And which is pneuma in Greek or pneuma. He says, no, you're seeing me in because you have news. So maybe I can explain what is news because it's really important for the gospel of Mary Magdalene and all Gnostic gospels. But if I get too technical, just tell me to shut up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So news. So this is, and then she begins to explain what it is. So basically, she starts to explain the journey of human soul to the ascension to become the, you know, the anthropos or human, fully human, as, as, as the teacher thought. Unfortunately, there are some pages missing. So she says that you have to go through the four climates, so to speak, four climates, like four steps. And the first step is that first you have to Stop believing that you are only the body, you know, that only you're just the meat. Because if you're, le- per- if you perceive everything from this level of your consciousness, then nothing can happen to you. You know what I mean? Like, that's it. You, you, you just can have a house, buy a car, you know, maybe have children. You understand? But that's it. And this is like a dead end, right? So if you're in a soma, so it's soma. So it's j- just this ma- material kind of almost like modern science. Right. It's like, don't forget that you're human and divine. You're not and just divine, this right. body. It's, yes, that's right. You're, you're just not this body. It's, it's not just, you know, you're not just this bag of meat, so to speak. Then the second one is when you have that you have the soul, but by soul, it's understood differently than we understand di- that now, because it is um, by, by soul, they mean psyche or psyche. So the soul is not this understanding of the soul. Uh, and we're talking about esoteric Egypt and Neoplatonism now, is understood not as eternal, but is as immaterial. So something that can go from life to life, but it's not eternal. It is basically your desires, your impressions that you carry from life to life. You know, so it's like immaterial. It's like your emotions and your desires. Or your essence. No, it's not your essence. It's not your essence. Okay, okay. It's just like, for example, you have these desires, and even when you die, these desires are being carried on. Got it. Okay. And and this is your kind of travels through through the spirit world, so to speak. So this is the second level. And then she says that the third level is when you actually have nous. And nous uh, can be understood either as part, you know, what we understand maybe nowadays as soul, or, you know, what often is understood as higher mind in esoteric tradition. Higher mind, it means the mind that is capable of perceiving uh, etern- eternity. So, and I would also maybe call that your 
your higher self, your sage self, right? Absolutely. So for example, it's booty, which is basically your higher self, mm -hmm. right? So, mm -hmm. and, and what you have in your spiritual experiences, when you suddenly, yeah, for a moment, you just know it, you know, you just know it, you feel it, you are it, right? So this is your nose. And nose acts like a hook, hook to eternity. So this is your link between who you are. Now you're aware that you're this body, but you also know your desires and emotions, but you're also a spiritual being as you are, not that you have to give up anything. And nous is your hook to eternity and eternity, you could say, is the divine mind, so to speak. You know, like the, it's, it's the, the, the whole, the source, if you don't like the word mind. Okay. And, and some might call that the Godhead. The Godhead. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You can, so, so this, you can hook into this. That's why he says this is the most important part because without it, you know, not much is possible for you. You, you have to develop your nose. You have to have this belief, you know, have the connection, which comes with spiritual experience in my personal experience to that, you know, and then, uh, you know, you are one with pneuma. Pneuma is basically immortal, the immortal soul that merges with a divine God, divine mind, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Then you don't, you, you let go of your psyche or psyche because, you know, you, 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 you can be one with the source, so to speak, using modern. Right. So you let go of your individual kind of yes. ego. Absolutely. Then you are ready to let go of this individual ego. Yes, you know. yes. And then he says, you know, as you travel through this different, you have to give up certain things, like you have to be, be up, uh, like certain attachments, you know, and there is a list of things you have to give up. And, you know, on this fourth level, and I, it continues, you know, to a previous conversation, which I think uh, I have a better answer to your question, because you always said that you were always troubled by the seven demons being exercised of Mary Magdalene, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's interesting, because once you reach this fourth level, you know, which basically one, the divine mind, but you still embody it, right? You embody it, but you're like, you have divine, you have access to divine consciousness. And this is what great sages always had, right? Like uh, Christ or like Mary Magdalene. And how do we know this? Because this, once you're there, you have to get rid of seven last elements that still hold you on against it. And ah. then this is what he exercised of her. So she would be, you know, the woman who knows the all. This is what Gnostic Gospel say, right? She's imbued with the spirit, he says in other Gnostic source. So it means she was already there. She just needed this last stick, mm -hmm. you know, like, the last of the attachments, the last of, you know, pride or maybe, you know, uh, the last, the last, you know, drop of ignorance. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are the seven things that, that were, um, enumerated there. And, and then I think this is what he did to her. That's the real story. So now after that, she was his equal, right? Because she, she, that's why he says she, she's the woman who knows the all. She's imbued with the spirit. So in, in another Gnostic source, uh, Pistis Sophia, Peter again says, you know, why do we have to listen? She's a woman to her. You know, she is not, shouldn't be even. Right. The great misogynist. Yeah. The great misogynist. She shouldn't be even here. Right. Because, you know, this is how the times were. You know, the, yeah. And, and basically Jesus says, Peter, shut up because she is imbued with the spirit. And I always thought it was a beautiful saying, but I didn't understand it until you know, I committed myself for a decade and a half. That's to study all? The, that's it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
to study the gospel of Mary Magdalene and every esoteric text has a, a initiatory power. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I, I got it from two different texts. One is the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. And, th- and then I realized what he meant in Pistis Sophia saying she's imbued with a spirit, which means she was one with a pneuma or pneuma because, you know, the la- he just basically kind of pushed her over the, you know, she was almost there. She just needed this last, this last thing, purify her completely, you know, her mind completely. Yeah. So, so. So she was already much more advanced than everybody else, right? But he made her equal this way because now she's imbued uh, with the spirit. So you can see why nobody wants to talk about it. And when people would ask me, where can I buy Mar- the gospel of Mary Magdalene? I said, you can buy it on Amazon. And people don't know it because, yes, because nobody basically, again, so sometimes like the silent treatment, right? Yeah. Like, so yeah. maybe nobody or, you know, Maybe if we just ignore it, it'll go away. Yeah. yeah. Maybe if we just ignore it, it will go away. So it's quite interesting because it is such a powerful gospel. You know, they come to her, the male disciples come to her and say, teach us because, you know, now we are hopeless. He's gone. Yeah. You know, and, and so teach us what he told you and didn't tell us, which is the esoteric teachings, you know, the highest level of teachings. So she's telling them what they have to do. But then at the end, they say, how come is it that the teacher talked to her in this way and not to us? They get angry again. Yeah. And can I, I also want to kind of just zoom out for a minute because what I want to get back to t- also is this, these initiations, right? So what I'm mm-hmm. hearing is that these final, I'll call them seven veils of ignorance, mm-hmm. right, mm. are lifted. So I just pretending for a moment that I know what those might be. To me, as a as a woman in the world today, they would probably still be the last remnants of the trance. Like, am I worthy? Mm. Am I capable of of seeing it all, of being with it all, of holding it all, of my of this sovereignty, of knowing, of true gnosis, of this wisdom, right? Like these might be some of the last remaining questions or ignorance that I have. Or perhaps they're veils of illusion that are being lifted where finally I can just see mm. the final puzzle is is all revealed. But what I'm hearing too is that Jesus initiates her and she symbolically is like all women. And then it's when it comes to the earthly realm, it's women who are initiating men. Is that what, is that what I'm hearing? That's right. So first of all, in the gospel, it's a fantastic connection that you made. So first of all, in the gospel of Mary Magdalene, she's initiating them because, you know, they didn't get it from him didn't get it from Jesus because they still need her. Yes. She got it. They didn't. Right. <laughs> right? And and then when, and then when I'm just kind of digressing back to esoteric tantra, when the woman is always the giver and she uses her sexual energy there, right? She is the giver again, just like Nimna is the giver, just like Eve is the giver, except that it is completely turned on its head and the she's and the serpent is bad, you know, and she's just tempting him because, you know, you should, the tree of knowledge you should not know. And this is, this is when I had awakening. Oh, baby, this is the only tree I want to know. Yeah. <laughs> like, because they said, oh, you can know about the tree of life, a tree of knowledge, bad, bad, eat bad, you know, done, done, yeah, done, yeah. bad girl. And yeah. I said, oh yeah. Yeah, that's I what I want. <laughs> yeah, that's what I want. And 
strangely enough, a woman is the tree of knowledge. But I would say a woman is the, the energy that transmits the knowledge the the experience so what is really interesting about gnosis there is another word in 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 sanskrit with shraddha and i think this is exactly what gnosis means because very often people intellectualize about gnosis Mm -hmm. yes it is inner knowing but it is also experiential knowing embodied embodied knowing so you know it's so shraddha is like faith but the faith that you are that mm-hmm. you know you, you you are not thinking i would like to be like mary magdalene i would like to be like jesus or you are that well what i'm also hearing is it's the it's the joining of the head and the heart it's the yes. embodied gnosis it's like it that's involves right. both yes that's right you have to you have to have it like you have to be awakened it's not enough to talk about awakening or gnosis what's gnosis so this is what scholars or you know some people will discuss until they die but to have gnosis it's to live it right is to have the experience because you can intellectualize it all That's day right. long if you don't know it in your body it's never going to truly translate that's yeah. right. You, you you can just write academic papers and have discussions, but you know you just talk about gnosis. You right, know it becomes I mean? like, a theory. Versus, becomes, it, yeah, yeah, it's a framework then, right? But yeah. what is it? If you don't experience it, you still have no clue because there is no words that you can actually truly describe it. Because once you had it, when you had a spiritual experience, and this is what I so painful. <laughs> try to explain, you know, my spiritual experiences, it's very difficult. It's like explaining a dream. Suddenly, or a mystery. You know- and, and that's where I think sometimes we continue to use that word mystery because there are no words. There are no words. Exactly. Because suddenly you are giving understanding and experience of everything. And then like, how are you going to explain it? You yeah. know, in a three-dimensional world, like, I, I can and I try, but you know, it's not even close, right? Yeah. So the same, I believe that gnosis is this. And this is, and she had it and they didn't, and that's why it came to her. So in all esoteric traditions, whether it is Hindu Tantra, esoteric Tantra, or whether it is, you know, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, the woman has to give it to men, basically, right? Because yes. they did not, couldn't embody this. And so also, like what I'm making up is that. The woman is, what she's bestowing is the invitation to unity, mm. is the invitation, right? Like, and so why I'm saying that is like, I think that there's also, if we were to look at and just surface for a moment, so many of these stories and mythologies, it's the same story over and over and over again, just a different version of it. Where even, for example, Isis and Osiris, that these stories are told over and over and over again, symbolically, archetypically, showing kind of how this fragmentation comes back into wholeness or back through this these four levels, right? Mm-hmm. How this sacred marriage occurs inside, which then changes the outside or the, you know, which kind of creates then this heaven on earth experience. Because once you know, no matter what you see, you understand the illusionary nature of it. Does that, does that, is yeah, that correct? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. But I think the Gnostics were very naughty because they and that's why Gnostic Gospels That's why we were love naughty. them. Yeah. Just and kidding. that's why we love them. And you know, and that's why Gnostic Gospels were not included in the Bible because, you know, it would put everything, you know, on, on back on that, you know, the way it should be actually, right? I would say. Because they say, you know, like here even, you know, like Mary Magdalene, what she's doing, you know, so yes. she, and, and there are no intermediaries. There are no intermediaries. You, know, you don't need the institution. It's a very personal search, you know, and a search that in, when a woman plays a central part in, you know, as well. Well, and what I'm hearing is that she's even more equipped that her actual design is yeah. to do this and with to, her body, with so her body. Because then, you know, I kind of uh, fill in the gaps, you know, from um, also from esoteric Hinduism, which is, you know, it's very ancient. And this is what this woman, Arda Triampaka, the sage, some people say it's goddess. Some people say she's a daughter of the original sage, which basically means, you know, original gods. You know, when she said that the woman's body is designed, you know, for this, you know, you can just use woman's body for this. and she did, you know, and this is what is described. But again, you know, how evil patriarchy is. So now the gurus, you know, from Buddhism, Hinduism, you know, because use women to get that to this mm. point. Mm. So my argument right now is we have to say we are in possession of the power. We give it as, you know, the carriers of this amazing secret knowledge, which actually is embodied in us. It's part of our bodies. You know, like you have to uh, have, uh, you know, female genitals and you have to, you know, you have to, it, it starts with this. So we should stop allowing ourselves to be victimized or play a victim because it's just as bad, right? Just embody this, mm-hmm. honor your body because it starts with this because they cannot have it without you, you know? Right. But unfortunately, they completely disempowered women in all of these traditions because Hinduism and Buddhism is not better than Christianity, you know, in this respect. And they still continue using women for their own enlightenment, mm-hmm. but not, you know, but a woman is just used as a, as a, as, as, a, a, tool. as a tool, as a tool. Yeah. And yeah. And, and, and most of the time, because I've been around gurus a lot, you know, actually don't even know what they are doing because they are not equipped to get what they're asking for. Mm-hmm. They have to, you know, it has to be given, right? So what they do, they try to get it just basically high on the sexual energy that gives you kind of enlightening experience and it's possible to get it spontaneously, but it's actually the woman that has to be the giver. But women also forgot the art of this. That's why I spent a year and a half studying the Sanskrit text, you know, chapter 29, which I also describe in my book to, you know, to... It's what I call sexual alchemy, you know, so it's a kind of ritualized use of errors, you know, to your own awakening, because you awake as he awakes, you Mm -hmm. understand, you Mm -hmm. awaken this energy and awakening is not really an intellectual process, it is the energetic process, the energy, the divine energy or the energy of anthropos is moving through you, you know, or pneuma is moving through you. And and then you are anointing, basically... Anointing him, this energy is just spilling upon the man. And what is more beautiful than intimate relationship or, you know, intimate even encounter, because very often, and we can discuss more controversial parts of this if you want, when, you know, you, you cannot be closer 
to each other. And not only physically, if you truly, your heart is truly open, you are one physically, oh, yeah. spiritually, you know, emotionally, if you know, you, you are one. And then it comes naturally the woman because it is encoded in her body, you know, so the woman, when she, her body opens up, you know, she has this energy and this energy is generously bestowed upon the man and they share this vision of complete bliss and cosmic consciousness together. Mm-hmm. You know, what's, what's there to hide? And, and, you know, obviously, as we said, people must have agendas because why deny even men something like that or men desperately in the form of different gurus try to get it, but, you know, they really can't, you know, they just uh, basically victimize women sexually trying to get this understanding that you cannot get it from a woman who is not empowered. Yeah, well, and also that a woman who's empowered actually knows yeah, whether right, right. Yeah. like whether or not this guy is actually uh to be bestowed upon. It's almost like he has to have the proper key. Yeah. Right? But she knows, like she intuitively knows and if she's already kind of there, she's probably not going to fall for it anyway. Yeah, that's right. So what I mean is it is uh, it is a little bit, I would say, also above us. So woman, you know, it's not that she knows and she makes it. You, you probably can withdraw it. I don't know. I didn't have an experience of withdrawing this energy. But, but I, I left it to, you know, to the energy, which is called, you know, Shakti Kundalini, or, you know, it could be called Holy Spirit, which is really mistranslation of Sophia. Right, because it was translate mistranslated from Latin, became ma- neutral from the feminine, you know. So the spirit, so to speak, that's moving through the woman or the energy, because the spirit doesn't include really matter when energy is both matter and spirit and everything, right? Yes, yeah, doesn't have a dualism. The energy this that is moving through the woman and a woman is possessor of this energy will decide whether to share this with him or. Yes, the energy decides. Got it, got it. Yes. The energy decides. You know, I don't even, you know, like, uh, you know, we can be deluded so easily, especially in such close relationship. The energy decides, you know, is he getting it? Well, and again, I'm just struck with, you know, that I call it the trance of unworthiness. And, you know, that energetically, it's her worth and her knowing her worth that first of all activates this energy. And then that energy decides whether he's worthy or not. It's like, you cannot make this up. That's right. Like, I mean, and it's not, and, and you know, and sh- that's right. Absolutely. You put it, I cannot put it better. So I'm not going to repeat it, but exactly that you have to have a sense of wor- worthiness. So, uh, People say, oh, women have this wonderful energy. And I just feel like oh, I'm rolling my eyes because I think, yes, they have this wonderful energy, but they are not giving it from the right climate, right? you know, level. Because if you give it because I have to, because I am a woman, or it is my duty because I'm a woman. Or because or, I'm know, married, it's my duty I'm, or yeah, whatever. Married right. or whatever, you know, you already degraded this energy. You're yes. not walking like a goddess on earth, and but cannot, you cannot make him walk like a god on earth. Yes. Because you already subdu- you're already degrading the energy that, that, that is, is, is encoded in your body. So, you know, you have to feel this worthiness, worthiness. But in my case, I had to study. And again, so it was the first text, that study of a text who had the initiatory power on me. But it just, you imbibe the text as I did. And yes. then the energy started to move through me. But you have to know it. But I actually open up to this energy, you know, from the text. 
And after I start stop studying the text, then I had the experience actually of this energy, you know, like just decided to activate itself. It initiated me so I could initiate the man. Yeah, it is. I mean, like, think about it. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. I love, okay, what I'm hearing that's very different from this that I'm getting this time that feels so critically important is that there is a timing when the energy decides to initiate or release or activate in within you. And what I love about that is my own experience of, I remember being on a plane and having this kundalini activation happen within me. It was literally the most mind-blowing. Like suddenly I was like, I cannot, like, it was kind of one of those, enter- one of those moments where, like, either I am so turned on right now, but like, for all the wrong <laughs> reasons, like, it was like, you know, they're offering me airplane food, and I'm like, oh, I'm in the middle of the sky, and I was having this, like, full on, right? Like, I didn't even have words for it at the time. It's only in hindsight yeah. that I was like, oh, that was a kundalini rising. But the in- interesting thing is, I also want to offer, you know, that I happen to, you know, and this is just a little bit of my personal story, but I, I for some reason I'm finding it relevant, so I'm going to bring it up, that my my first marriage, you know, didn't turn out. And I really noticed that in my partnership that I've now been in with this same man for the last 14 years the whole container that I feel like he created for our relationship was centered in this consistency, safety, and it was so grounding for me, who had come from really a lifetime of trauma. Like I didn't, again, recognize my trauma until I could really see it for what it was. But then I, of course, I kind of married a version of my trauma, and it continued. And so I found that there was this, there were these series of events that made it possible for me to re-inhabit myself. Because for the longest time, Joanna, I was caught up here in my head. And of course, my clients, you know, and the, and the women that I really am in service to, uh, it's all about kind of coming back to the body Mm. and remembering this piece coming down out of our heads or wherever we have been disassociating. And so many women, as we kind of share our stories more and more in these sacred circles, have shared over and over again that many times they're not there when it comes to, you know, their sexuality, right? That, That they've literally disassociated and are not able to kind of like resolve that portion. And I do find that that is kind of the final frontier for women is kind of reactivating that essence and reconnecting to that 
because that's where that microdosing of the trance and the sinfulness and the, you know, kind of these polarities of the virgin and the whore as the two options mm-hmm. have just done such damage to the psyche. And so for women to kind of come home to themselves, there's just a whole lot uh, I find that needs to happen. In many cases, you know, there are those outliers that can kind of like immediately have the revelation in their back. But mm. I find that otherwise, it's it's a process of remembering. I wonder if you have any uh, words or experience or insights. Absolutely. It's a process of remembering. And, you know, of um, there's an additional, I think, layer of trauma, which is not only, you know, what we are being told about our bodies and what we are not being told about our bodies and the power of our bodies, but, you know, it's ancestral trauma as well. You know, mm-hmm. uh, people have horrific experience sexually, you know, and what happens to war in war to men, we know, but what happens to women is sometimes more awful, right? And yes. it's very often complete sexual uh, rape, basically, right? Mm-hmm. So, so we have it. it uh, we, lots of women have this encoded in have in their genetic memory. So this is maybe a part of this disassociation, but the inability to trust the man, the in- inability to enjoy the erotic act, and the inability to, you know, why would I even bestow any man with anything? Mm-hmm. You know, because there's this. So we have to go through immense healing, but I do believe that this healing starts with healing of our bodies and acceptance of our bodies, you yes. know. So, you know, uh, doing meditations, you know, on, on, on your body, you know, accept my body, you know, I, I love my body, you know, my body is carrier of a sa- of sacred knowledge, of a sacred energy, where it is uniquely feminine. Mm-hmm. That, you know, the world needs me as I am embodied, not disembodied, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's right. It is extremely devious that all religions are of the world, and I hope I'm not getting into trouble, you know, here. They no. actually completely, completely, not demean is not enough to say. They basically attempted to completely destroy this energy yes this 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 feminine energy and i think that you know in in gnosticism there's this idea of also you know this malevolent powers and i think that some people actually some institutions do embody this because all they are so afraid of this beautiful power and they think oh you know it will be completely out of control because you know women are irrational you know, yeah. so I think they just have the and fear. Wanton. Yeah. And they want, oh, yeah. You know, and <laughs> that's a different story. I actually have some stories about it, about saints, which are hilarious. But, <laughs> but, you know, I think that they do not realize that they deny themselves, you know, ascension, basically, within this body. It's like cutting off your nose to spite your face. Exactly. This is what they are doing, you know. So times are changing, you know, and these documents were discovered for a reason, like, you know, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene and Nak Hammadi. And, you know, for the first time in English, you know, the, some tantric documents were of esoteric tantra, not just, you know, uh, other forms of tantra are being translated and people, you know, find initiatory power in them. So we are on the right track. And I just would like to, you know, when we are finish with this that that the world needs it it's not about just women empowering themselves 
the masculine energy, which is this kind of rational energy of, you know, engineering energy, so to speak, which is beautiful in its own. I, I love men. I love this calling it Tantra, you know, Shiva energy. You know, I'm very sensitive to it. You know, like I love it. It's beautiful. Right. But it went already achieved what it can achieve by itself. And in mm-hmm. fact, it's taking us in the wrong direction of artificial intelligence of, you know, some bio, you know, engineering, which is horrible. And civilization and we as species, I deeply believe, will not survive unless we activate, you know, this feminine energy, which is actually encoded in our bodies. And then we marry this because we are supposed to be together. You yes, know? yes. The masculine and the feminine. We embody this, but you cannot achieve anything that is of any good anymore by suppressing the feminine and going solely from the pure masculine energy because it is taking us in a very wrong direction. Yes, it is. In fact, the other day, Austin, my partner, was showing me a video of a robotic machine that could do could jump and skip. And I was just like, oh my God, this is horrifying. I mean, it was highly intelligent. And it is very, it's more intelligent than that because, you know, like I work as an academic and recently we had a meeting about what is a chat GPT. So it means you can ask it questions. They can add perfectly wonderful essays. I know. I just read about that where you could yeah. actually have a book yeah. basically written by a machine. I know. And, you know, and there's almost no way of recognizing, like detecting it. You understand? So, mm-hmm. so as a, like, for example, as an educator also, which is my kind of day job, right? Like, you like, I, I, I wouldn't know, you know, yeah. like, you know, unless it's a personal reflection, because this, this, this artificial intelligence is honest. It says, well, this is what I can do. This is what I cannot do. Like personal reflection. Then if you read it, then it's kind of, you know, ah, no, I don't think it's human, you know, but like an essay, they can do like at least 70% essay. Unbelievable. Yeah. You know, so, 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 we, uh, so this is completely wrong. And what we are also doing, we are becoming unaware creators, which is very dangerous. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all of these futuristic films about, uh, you know, uh, artificial intelligence rebelling about humans because it is like rebelling against an irresponsible God. Yes. You know, like we have to evolve first before we give life, you know, to, to something else even if you want to. Right. Like what I hear you saying is that we're unconsciously creating what we don't want because we're unconscious about what we're creating. Yes. So we're creating something that is more powerful than us in many respects. Yes. And and for what end, you know? Yeah. For what end? I know. It, it's like my mind will only allow me to go to a certain place and then I <laughs> shut down. Oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've just absolutely loved this conversation. I'm wondering, is there any question that I haven't asked you? I, I mean, there's so much, right? There is so I <laughs> much. I feel like how did an hour just fly by already? And I feel like we're again, just getting to it. But is there any question that you feel like you wanted me to ask in this interview that I didn't? Uh, if you don't mind, I would like to discuss, you know, Mary Magdalene in Egypt. Yeah. Because just, just very briefly, because, you know, the, the people are interested in it. So it's kind of, um, I have time if you have time. So, okay, yeah, don't you. rush. So, I know that there is a pretty good evidence 
you know, especially medieval evidence, you know, that Mary, because of there is a long-standing tradition of Mary Magdalene in France, especially in Provence, and then the Cathars that live in southern western France, they also maybe not, didn't believe that Mary Magdalene was in France, but they honored Mary Magdalene as the top disciple of Jesus and his partner. So I know, and there's lots of written about Mary Magdalene in France. However, and it's probably good evidence. However, it is a medieval evidence. Mm-hmm. And I, in my book, in The Other Goddess, I thought, okay, like, just didn't seem right to me. Maybe she went to France. But by the way, even the French sources say that she went to France 12 years after the event of crucifixion. Mm-hmm. So what was she, even if she did go right, to France. What was she doing for those 12 right, years? She couldn't stay in the Holy Land because they all, you know, were, you know, like they persecuted, right? So mm-hmm. she had to go somewhere. And just through scholarly research of other scholars also, you know, I found out that, for example, and that often Mary Magdalene and Jesus were co- uh, associated with the Essenes and John the Baptist, which was like a, we call it vaguely Gnostic group in the Holy Land. Mm-hmm. And then I was doing research about um, about a group called Therapete, which is in ancient Alexandria, which was the center of spiritual, spiritual center and scientific center uh, of the world at that time, right? And where all Gnostics abide, really. And that there was this group called the Rapeta, which is called the healers, who were connected, who were, they were connected both with the members who were often Jewish, but they were also connected with the temple of Isis because Alexandria was so multicultural. So there was not like a strict Judaism then. You understand? Like mm-hmm. every, it was like a mixing pot, right? So they were associated with the temple of Isis and they were also called spiritual healers. You know, not only physical healers and spiritual healers. And that they also um, accepted women into their circles, mm-hmm. right? So, which was very unusual for the times, you know, in those times. So I was thinking, knowing Mary Magdalene's connection with the Essenes and, and, uh, and you know, that there was this group there that accepted women, I thought perhaps it would be wise for her to go there, right? Especially such a, a advanced place. And then I learned that the therapeuta had a connection with the Essenes. Wow. You know, so they, they were in touch with kind of so-called Gnostic groups in the Holy Land, right? So like with the Essenes. So I thought like, that's a nice possibility that, you know, she would know about, first of all, she would know about Alexandria for sure, right? But that there is a group there that accepted women who were spiritually gifted and intellectually gifted and that they had a contact with other kind of non-traditional uh, spiritual groups in the Holy Land. And then I asked myself a question as a spiritual detective, was there a woman in the first century Alexandria that could fit the description? Yeah, And it, it's just a hypothesis, but I honestly <laughs> completely bought into this. And of course there was, it was uh, a woman who was called Mary the Jewess or Mary the Alchemist or Mary the Prophetess. It's one and the uh... same woman. And in, in uh, the open library of, you know, Israel, I found it's a historical person. So it's not like, you know, people write about Mary, uh, the, the alchemist. And the, and then I found Zosimus, which is also a historical figure who is an alchemist who lived in uh, Alexandria, but came from Akmin. You remember where the gospel of Mary Magdalene was found in Akmin? What was his name? Zosimus. So was that Zoroastrian? No, no, no. Okay, Zosimus okay. was like a, 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 a probably Greek Egyptian, okay, right? Okay, like, okay. A, like a, like a, a Egyptian, but you know, with a kind of a Westernized Egyptian, you know, because it was the the times when you know it was uh, uh, 
uh, Hellenizes. They got it, it, got Egyptian. it, okay. And he was a great and historical figure. So it's, I checked my facts. Right, you know? it's legitimate. And, yeah. So, and he says that, you know, he's speaking about other alchemists who specialize not in very raw alchemy, which is, you know, basically turning uh, metal into gold. Yeah, but in a spiritual alchemy which specialized in ascension, for example, like Gospel of Mary Magdalene, right? That I mentioned before. And he said that one in the first century, one of the predecessors, because he's from the third century, one to three, was this woman uh, called Mary the Jewess, who was also the prophetess, simply because she had a spiritual knowledge, who was an alchemist, Mary the Alchemist, mm -hmm. right? So, and... Uh, so I thought that that's very interesting and that she was teaching the spiritual alchemy, the art of ascension, like yes. the gospel of Mary Magdalene. And so I found it really interesting that the gospel of Mary Magdalene was found on Akmin and he was from Akmin. You understand? So yes. there is this kind of missing link connection because there must have been tradition there of that already, yes, right? Because yes. th there was this source was found in Akmin. So I come with this hypothesis that, you know, Mary Magdalene actually, e and he also says that the reason why she could open alchemical school when, you know, other Egyptians couldn't because she was either Jewish or half Jewish or half Egyptian, you know, because Egyptians couldn't share their knowledge with the foreigners, mm -hmm. okay? And esoteric sources, when we're talking about hermetic sources before mentioning just on before, right? Also mentioned that Mary Magdalene was probably only half Jewish because they think that her father was Egyptian. Okay. And that's why there was something unclean about her because she was a hybrid. Uh -huh. So it wasn't sexual uncleanness, so to speak, but because he, this Egyptian man who was actually devoted to Isis married a Jewish woman and they had Mary Magdalene. Yeah. So I think it makes perfect sense for her to go back to the group in Alexandria who was associated both with, you know, a, a Gnostic groups in the Holy Land and with the Temple of Isis and that there was this woman called Mary the Alchemist who was also a prophetess and also called Mary the Jewess because she was probably mixed blood. Uh, so I think that maybe she's Mary Magdalene. And yeah. even if she went to France, even the French sources, medieval sources, which means much later sources, you know, talk about her going to the Holy Land after 12 years. Mm -hmm. uh, not the Holy Land, I'm sorry, going to France after 12 years, right? So maybe she was for 12 years in Alexandria and went to France. But uh, I think that this... Um, hypothesis of her is makes perfect sense because if I were Mary Magdalene and I was this woman who, you know, knew the all and, uh, you know, is imbued with the spirit, uh, I would go to the place where I could continue teaching. Yes. Rather than disappearing somewhere, you know. And, right. And then going As some kind of hermit in a cave somewhere, right? Yeah. Which maybe late in her life she did, you know, but I think she, they come to her, the disciples come to her and ask for a teaching. So obviously she, and she says, now let's go uh, around the world and, and teach that. Right. She's so, a teacher. Yeah. She's a disciple. Yeah. She's a priestess. Yeah. In, uh, right. Exactly. And even in medieval sources, like the golden agent, when she comes with some people, you know, to Southern France near Marseille, I think she lands, you know, she amazes people with her eloquence talking about the spirit. So obviously, Maybe by then she decided she had enough, right? And and then she goes to the cave and she meditates, you know, and so on. That may be so. But I think it's, again, a little bit convenient that, you know, the one woman priestess that was around Jesus, you know, just decided, oh, I'll be silent. 
Yeah. Although she's carrier of the of the knowledge that he shared only with her. So I think personally that this hypothesis that she's married the, the prophetess or the alchemist in Alexandria makes more sense to me. So, so yeah, that, it's my- just, it's very likely. And I think again, like this is where these threads become so important to be, you know, to have a hypothesis about because mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think that part of our remembering process is also the reinterpretation and like relooking at some of these not only historical events but also as i was saying kind of in the in the beginning you know there's there's these different puzzle pieces that could put together and as you kind of look at the possibility of a number of pictures the one that you've been given suddenly doesn't seem at least in the same realm anymore you know that it's actually becomes far more likely that there is are other possibilities. And while we don't have the full picture, I think we have enough of a picture to, to know that what I continue to kind of come back to is that as women, we are to sit on the throne of our own worthiness and that whatever is keeping us from sitting on that throne you know, and straightening our crown is often this trance of unworthiness and looking for the places that we were given the Kool-Aid or the microdose, you know, mm-hmm. that that's where the exorcism needs to happen. Not, <laughs> not the way we've been taught, you know, that the exorcism yeah. is exercising the patriarchal trance out of our psyche and out of our bodies because it's in both places. I feel like, you know, that's where there's this complete disconnect between the head and the heart. And what's in the middle is patriarchy. <laughs> that's, that's right. And the patriarchy is in the middle. And, and I always say patriarchy debilates, debilitates both women and men. You know, men Absolutely. are because of patriarchy, you know, and because they are, because they are only like see a half of themselves. Right? That's right. And, and, and so uh, we, we need each other, but it starts with honoring women by men, but first, women have to honor themselves within their bodies, not outside of their bodies. Yes, and so the journey continues. I've loved this conversation so much. I feel like we have journeyed all the way around the world and back again. But <laughs> I love, I love, you know, I love your work and I think it's so important. I know that you not only do you have this book, I know you've done other writings, but you also offer classes. And I want to give you an opportunity to talk about that because, you know, I think it's important. Um, you know, you are um, very much kind of walking what you talk. And so I'd love for you to invite our listeners to learn more about you and to hear more about the courses you offer and anything else you might want to mention. Thank you so much for this opportunity, Monica. And I also enjoyed that conversation because I usually have a kind of organic approach to this, you know, so I let the energy flow through, through me rather than trying to control it. But for anybody who is interested, and it's really not, and it's not coming from any form of, you know, ego, I would just like, you know, offer my book, The Other Goddess, simply because, um, she's my rebellious daughter. You know, she doesn't have the hangups I had. You know, she just, I, I just go for it in this book. You know, this is this version of myself, my spiritual journey and, and experiences that I had, but she's actually a separate entity. You know, like she, 
and and she 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 has her own soul now. I love so, that. you know, if you want to learn something about things that we discuss now in a very simplified way, let's put it this way, because there are scholarly works. And I, the reason why I chose not to write 100% academic book, it is because then it's not accessible to people. There is a story here. There's a personal story, which is backed up with spiritual experiences, real, my own and other women. And also it's backed up by research and my experience, initiatory experience with sacred esoteric texts as well. So it, it has also at the, bo- at the back, it has a reading list. I don't have any references, but the reading list, if you want to do more, you know, there is something there. I also uh, have a course called The Goddesses of Errors and Secret Knowledge on my publisher's site. And, and you know, where, where I discuss, you know, the, the mostly Goddesses of Errors, but it has four, five modules and one of them is on Mary Magdalene and what we discuss here. And each of these modules has a guided meditation as well as structured journaling. So basically specific questions. And I'm also on Facebook as Dr. Joanna Kuyava, which I, in English pronounces Kujawa. So, you know, I know uh, I, I respond to both and every pronunciation of my last name. I'm on Instagram and I have a small YouTube channel. But uh, this book is when I saw my, my, my daughter and also this is my soul, so yeah. to speak. And I yeah. think this is this kind of soul with, of every woman, really, you know, rediscovering what is my actual soul and how can I have a relationship with my soul as also an erotic element with it. So, uh, so that's it. That's, that's me. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. And just, just out of curiosity, what, what are you up to? Right? Do you have any new projects in the works? Any, what's your vision for, you know, like what you want to be doing now that you've got this great accomplishment and your, your beautiful daughter, which is your book, <laughs> your rebellious daughter? What else? So at the moment, I've been so busy, you know, with talking about this book and the book was just translated to Mandarin. So, you know, so, and I, I'm just, coming out of this and I'm starting to have some ideas maybe writing about goddess consciousness but also about maybe some specific women you mm-hmm. know that carried this goddess consciousness but it's I'm also asking academic papers so I have certain opportunities opening up for me but I'm sitting with them because I wanted I don't want to jump into anything and I want something that actually the energy you know that I'm embodying wants me to do rather yes. than something sounds good or you know maybe I should do this so I'm almost like open to opportunities and then I'll let the energy take me there you know <laughs> yeah so what I'm hearing is that you're waiting kind of for that that surge that tells you yes, yes. go this way yes that's right I, I, I don't want to make a rational decision I, I'll just go with the energy mm-hmm. and it's a beautiful space to be Yeah, it is. I love that for you. And thank you again, Dr. Joanna. It has just been such an honor and a pleasure. And for our listeners, I'll be sure to put all of Joanna's links in the show notes and, of course, other resources, as well as my own story from the Breaking Down Patriarchy uh, episode. If you want to hear that, that's what I started with. And until next time, more to be revealed. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, please visit us at jointherevelation.com and be sure to download our free gift, subscribe to our mailing list, or leave us a review on iTunes. We thank you for your generous listening. And as always, more to be revealed.